grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All Saints Day has been celebrated by the Church for 1,400 years. In 609 A.D., Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Pantheon in Rome to the Virgin Mary and all martyrs. The Church always celebrated the life of the martyrs, but in 609, one day, All Saints Day, was set aside to commemorate those who had died for their faith. Later it came to be a commemoration of others in general who were deemed to be worthy of the title Saint. Giuseppina Vanini, who died in 1911, was one of five saints who were canonized by the Catholic Church on October 13th of last year. Giuseppina was said by the Catholic Church to have lived a life of true holiness. Witnesses were called to attest to her goodness, holiness, devotion to God, and other virtues. She was declared in the late 1970s to be a servant of God, the first step to becoming a saint. In 1992, she was declared venerable, which meant she likely had finished her time in purgatory and attained heaven, and could be lifted up as one whose life could be imitated by the church. In 1994, Pope John Paul II celebrated her beatification after it was proven or attested that a miracle could be attributed to her intercession with God. After a second miracle was attested to have been due to Giuseppina, she was declared by the Catholic Church to be a saint, one who is in the presence of God and able to work for our good. This reliance on a person's good works and their being purified of their sins in purgatory was one of the teachings of the Catholic Church that caused Martin Luther to push back against Rome. Luther maintained that the gospel is the good news that Christ has made us righteous, has purified the sinner by his own suffering and death, has washed us clean by his blood. Our reading from Revelation paints this picture. The Apostle John, at the writing of his revelation, is exiled to the island of Patmos for his faith and his confession of Jesus Christ as our only Savior from sin. He writes, After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number. John says, After this. After what? John has just seen the 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. This 144,000 is representative of the true Israel, children of the promise, children of God by faith. They are sealed on earth. They are the believers, kept in faith and in godly hope through the great tribulation. This list is reminiscent of lists of men in the Old Testament who are numbered from the various tribes and who go out to war. It is the church militant, the church who marches into battle, equipped with the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. John is part of this crowd, even as he's exiled 
on the island of Patmos. You and I and all believers in Christ are part of this crowd that is sealed for heaven. After the sealing and the numbering of the one crowd, John sees another crowd. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And this second crowd is the church triumphant, the saints of God after Christ's return. God promises Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob countless descendants. And these are those countless descendants. Not only Jews, not only the physical descendants of Abraham, not Israel by birth, but the true Israel of faith. I saw a great multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. They're standing before the throne. They're, They're there in the presence of God. They shouldn't be there. Because of their sin, their idolatry, their greed, and their selfishness, because of their failure to love God above all and their neighbors as themselves, because they puff themselves up and gossip about others, because they seek their own pleasure and neglect those in need, they don't deserve to stand in God's presence. But they are there in the presence of God and of the Lamb clothed in white robes. The Lamb is there. Jesus, the sacrifice that atoned for their sin. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Jesus tells the parable of the king's wedding feast at one point, where the guests who are invited refuse to come. And he brings in the lowly, the unworthy, the unexpected, into his banquet hall. And then the king comes to look at the crowd, and he sees there one without a wedding garment. And that one is cast out. And here in John's vision, all are clothed in that wedding garment, in white robes, the wedding garment for the bride of the Lamb, white robes that are a far, far cry from the filthy rags of our own good works. This multitude is holding palm branches. They're celebrating a victory. And it takes us back to the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem when the crowds were crying out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in God's name to do God's work, which was to die on the cross as the heavenly lamb of sacrifice. In the death and resurrection of our Lord, we are freed from death. We have the victory. Salvation belongs to our God, they cry. 
No greater praise can man give. Almighty God, whom I have sinned against in thought, word, and deed, this same God has put on my flesh, has carried my sin, has suffered beyond all human understanding, has given his very life for me, for you. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Glory and blessing and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might, these are all things that we run after. We want power and glory and honor and might for ourselves in order to rule those around us and satisfy our own desires. But the church triumphant ascribes all of these qualities to the God who saved them from condemnation for sin, for the sin of idolizing ourselves. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. White robes, purified in Jesus' blood, not with the blood of bulls or goats, as Hebrew says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9 Abel's blood accused Cain before God. God said, The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood cries out in our defense. The robes are white because he offered his life for ours, his blood for ours, his righteousness for our sin. These in this crowd are not the ones who thought themselves good enough, who thought to appease God and justify themselves by their sincerity or by trusting in themselves and their own ideas about God's ways. They didn't put their trust in science or in philosophy or in their own feelings and emotions. These standing here in white robes are not the ones the world might declare to be saints. Instead, they're murderers and adulterers, like David. Liars like Abraham and Jacob. Even people who at one time fought against God and his gospel, like St. Paul. You and I, who are redeemed sinners, are in good company. These are the ones whom God has chosen, whom he has called to faith by the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the ones whose sins have been laid on Jesus, 
who have been made righteous through his blood, who have come through the tribulation of this life, were assailed by the devil, whose faith and trust and hope has been assaulted by the world that doesn't acknowledge God as creator and redeemer. It is the church that John sees, the church that is no longer militant but triumphant, waving the palm branches of victory. And my dear Christian friends, you stand in both of these crowds, in the one sealed for Christ in your baptism, participating in his death. You are part of the church militant now as you proclaim the gospel and the reign of God, militant because through you, the church, God is plundering the enemy's camp. And on that final day when Christ returns in great triumph and victory, you will be part of that resurrection throng, and you will stand before the throne, all of your sins forgiven, all of your stains and your tears wiped away, dressed in a dazzling white robe by God's grace, and waving palm branches. And you will be ascribing your salvation not to yourself, not to the help of some other saint, but to the God who carried you, to the God who died for you and every saint who has passed on from this life in the faith. You and they will stand in that great crowd. By faith you stand there now, this morning, dressed in the white robe of Christ's righteousness, one with that multitude that no man can number, worshiping God and the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The myriad angels raise their song. O saints, sing with that happy throng. Lift up one voice. Let heaven rejoice in our Redeemer's song. 